Welcome to Code Grays, an episode-by-episode recap of classic Grey's Anatomy. I'm Teresa Rosado, and I am joined by Patrice Anthony to talk about Season 3, Episode 7, Where the Boys Are. Terrible title in hindsight. Where are they? All around us, ruining our lives. Ruining everything. That's where the boys are. (laughs) Fuck the boys. (laughs) Except for the ones who listen to this podcast. You're okay. I don't know if there are any. (laughs) (laughs) We've yet to see evidence that any anyone who identifies as male (laughs) listens listens to Code Grays. That's fine. We understand. That's okay. We get it. (laughs) This episode has a lot going on, huh? Yeah. It's written by two dudes. Yeah. And they just packed it full of dude shit. Yeah. And they also uh, just, I really like that Code Grey's was like, we're going to have our queer issues episode. You mean Grey's Anatomy? Did I say Grey's Anatomy? You said Code Grey's. Oh, Code Grey's. Yeah. I meant Grey's Anatomy. Every every episode of Code Grey's is our queer episode. <laughs> <laughs> because we're two queers. <laughs> but this episode of Grey's Anatomy was like, it's time. They really packed Three it seasons in. in. They it's were time. like, trans issues, let's get them in there. <laughs> Homophobia, let's get it in there. <laughs> Gay stuff, but in a different way, let's get it in there. Um, In my mind, I have this episode as the episode in which Isaiah Washington referred to T.R. Knight as the F word. I don't know why it's lodged in my brain as part of that timeline. Mm. I have no idea if that's actually when that fight took place. I have no set. idea either. But maybe it is. Maybe I always it like, tie came it out one. through like this storyline and he was like, yeah. hey, I'm a homophobic asshole. Yeah. Yeah. Right. Okay. Remember then when he said the word again when asked about it in an interview? He was like, I regret calling my coworker A. And then he said the word again and was in trouble all over again. We were <sighs> like, bro. Take a hand. Bro, you really missed you really missed the the whole lesson here. It was bad. Anyway, <laughs> this episode was directed by Dan Minahan, written by Mark Wilding. Mm-hmm. Aired November 9th, 2006. Sure did. And it is very 2006. Super 2006. It does not age well. No. Uh, some, some parts of it age well, I think. There are some positives in here. Uh, like, two positives. <laughs> <laughs> this episode is full of shit. Yeah, it's bad. <laughs> Should we summarize it so that then we can rip it to shreds? Yeah, sure. <laughs> I think it's my turn. I think it is your turn oh, to do the episode bring all summary. my slow-talking glory. Okay, so in this episode, we have Eric Sanborn, a kid who swallowed a bunch of Monopoly pieces because he was mad at his brother, and then he gets a perfed intestine. Uh, Donna Gibson, who is a trans woman who's coming to Mark Sloan for a gender confirmation surgery slash vaginoplasty, but then ends up having breast cancer. Jamie Carr, who comes in, who fell and broke her wrist, and we find out that there has been fetal demise of her baby. Um, And then Harold O'Malley, at the very end, George's dad, and we don't actually know what happens to him. We'll find out later. Boom. That was so good. I'm great. That was exceptional. That was really well done. Did you practice that? Yeah, I did. (laughs) Yeah, I did. 12 times in my car. (laughs) Wrote myself a script. (laughs) Um, Where do you want to start? God, do we want to do like... 
Well, is this, should we just treat the whole fucking thing as a teachable moment? Like, what do we, (laughs) let's just start at the beginning where most stories start. (laughs) Oh God. (sighs) Okay. So the first line of my notes is, oh God, this episode. And I need you to know that that was just me responding to the guys getting their camping gear together. I was like, oh my God, that's right. They, all the men go camping. There's a fight. It's a disaster. I had completely forgotten Donna's storyline until much later and was like, oh, God, this episode. Yeah. This episode actually, I feel like, really ramps up the drama. Like, there's a lot of sadness and, like, stuff just happening that's uncomfortable. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. So we start out, we see Derek, he's, or no, we see Burke and Christina, and Christina's like, you're going camping? <laughs> and he's like, yeah, we're getting out to the woods, we're men, woods, stuff. <laughs> nature, getting back to nature. Men being men, <laughs> mountain men in the wild. Oh, the open road, the road not taken, the uncharted course, terra incognita. And so Burke and Derek are going camping, which could probably actually be a good time. They could bond, but there's an issue. They've been developing a friendship. They have. It's very cute. But there's an issue. Yes. Uh, Burke decided to invite everybody. That's the issue. (laughs) It's very rude. He they get into the car and the fact that like he gets into the car and they're ready to go and he says we have to make one stop. Oh my god. And I was like, oh, maybe maybe he forgot something. What he forgot was that he invited, invited half the fucking hospital to come. It's totally unacceptable. Yeah. Um, I Like, what possessed this man to invite, like, multiple other people yeah. on a trip that was not his trip? It was Derek's trip. He didn't even ask. No. That's the thing. But no. that is very male. Oh, God. Don't ask. Just do. God. Derek is a, sometimes is a better person than we give him credit for because I would have been like, absolutely not. Yeah. I would not have gone camping with all of these random people. No, thank you. I would not have done it. But I also have a very Christina Yang, like, reaction to camping. You're going camping? Uh, with Shepard, yes. With the sleeping on the ground and everyone peeing behind the same bush? (laughs) (laughs) So all the dudes go camping yeah it's burke derek karev george uh the chief and then joe from joe's bar mm-hmm. and his partner walter which i think this is the first time that we see walter yeah. or even men- have or mention know, yeah. of him like we have no idea about um this. walter so hot i wasn't really paying attention oh my to god walter. he's super hot good job joe yeah good job joe. well done man Ooh, ooh. <laughs> this is not even ooh, ooh, a, I feel a tangent coming This is not a pressing question <laughs> I think I I was just like What kind of camper are you? Are you a Derek? Oh, yeah Are you a Joe? Are you a Chief? Are you a Burke? Are you overprepared? Are you underprepared? If, um, I'm an Alex <laughs> You think you know what you're doing But you don't? N- no, I don't think Alex thinks he knows What he's doing He doesn't know what he's doing And then he's really insecure mm. When people keep being like wow you didn't bring layers and he's like how was i supposed to know i needed to bring fucking layers that's me i'm (laughs) alex i'm intensely alex because i was not raised camping like my mom has always said that the closest she'll get to camping is a hampton inn she has a lot of little wise words like that (laughs) 
<laughs> she also says and has said for my whole life that camping is for white people. <laughs> um, and all right, why would you pay to sleep outdoors? She just has a lot of feelings. About camping. <laughs> so she lives in like a place where camping, I feel like, is really big. <laughs> yeah, but we did a lot of day trips. Okay, you know what I mean. We weren't gonna go camp after our hike. We're going to drive home and sleep in our own beds. Okay. Okay. So now now I do camp. My partner loves to camp, uh, but we car camp. And that is probably like as I've come around to it, like I do actually enjoy it. I cannot camp with large groups of people because it's like a real activation for my social anxiety. Um, but I have been able now to camp with our roommates and did well with that so that was exciting so maybe at some point group camping will be in the works but for now I've actually really come around to camping with my partner and I really enjoy car camping but for me it's like hiking camping is just too it's too anxiety provoking for me that if there was an emergency I don't have a quick way yeah to get help is really what it's about it's not so much about like getting dirty and stuff like that. I mean, I don't love that, but it's more about just like, I understand. We're too far. We're too far from people. I understand. <laughs> what kind of camper are you? Because uh, you, you camp a lot. I do. Yeah. And I love camping, but oh. I, but I didn't grow up camping. I did not come to camping until I was an adult. Yeah. See, um, that gives me hope. Yeah. Oh. Much hope. Um, and I also feel terribly anxious when I'm out in the woods. I'm like, what if I died? Mm-hmm. Um, what if I got attacked by a bear? Um, yeah. yeah, I feel, I don't know what kind of can't, like, if I'm one of these kinds of campers, but if I was, I'd probably be like a George. He seems like prepared and like he knows what he's doing, but he's not like, um, like George or Burke where they have like too much like fancy gear. <laughs> yes. Um, <laughs> so, but yeah, I love camping. I've gone backpacking several times. I've been to the Smokies, um, and that was fun. Um, and I, yeah, I just like being outdoors. It's like something different than I ever did as a kid. Um, and I'm into it. Yeah. I like hiking. I like being out there. I like the isolation um, to a point. But it's still very nerve wracking. Yeah. It's definitely a challenge for me um, to to be out there. Yeah. Yeah. It's, yeah. It's tough. It's something, it's something that I look forward to getting better at and more comfortable with. But for I now, you. I'm Alex fucking Karev. <laughs> I believe in you. I haven't brought anything I was supposed to bring, and I'm defensive that you're mentioning it to me. <laughs> <laughs> um, so those those are the men on the trip. Yeah, so we kind of cut in and out. The There's men like being men. Interstitials. <laughs> Uh, where, yeah, they're, they're camping and that's juxtaposed with everything that's going on at the hospital. Mm -hmm. And so back at the hospital, the interns that are remaining are starting their day. Um, and they're being assigned to certain people. Meredith is with Sloan. Uh, Izzy is supposed to be, uh, (laughs) dialoguing and processing (sighs) with, Sydney. Played by Kaylee Roca. Okay. So oh my excited. god. Did you watch Buffy the Vampire Slayer? I did. She's Halfrick. Yeah, I know. Oh, okay. All right. I'm just not as excitable as you. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> That's very real. <laughs> um 
And then Addison doesn't have anyone on her service, but she's teamed with Callie because of that uh, storyline. And then Christina has, of course, crossed the wrong fucking bitch. Yeah. Bailey is pissed. She's so mad. (laughs) She's so mad. Rightfully so. So mad. Um, And so Christina gets assigned to the kid with the Monopoly pieces. <laughs> Just waiting, waiting for him to poop him out. Should we start there? Yeah, let's start there. Okay. So there's this kid named, um, according to my notes, boy who swallowed Monopoly pieces <laughs> in ploy to keep brother from winning Monopoly. <laughs> uh, his name is Eric Sanborn. Thanks so much. <laughs> but also great alternate name. His parents should consider changing his birth certificate. <laughs> I really liked this kid's uh, logic. I was like, mm-hmm. this makes a lot of sense. He's like, if I can't play, no one, no can, one can fucking play. play. And I was like, this motherfucker's a Scorpio and I love him. <laughs> I'm here for you, kid. Uh, and so Yang just is assigned to digging Monopoly pieces out of this little boy's stool. Literally all, just, just all sifting through his poop. And Bailey continually asks Yang, why did you erase my name from the operating board from the schedule? And Yang doesn't just say, I can't tell you. She says repeatedly, I don't know what you're talking about. Yep. She denies it. She She's just straight out up. lies. And Oof. it is tough to watch. And Bailey just shuts her down every single time they interact. Because yep. she refuses to even be truthful and say, At all. I can't talk about that right now. Or you should ask Burke or literally anything. At all. Just lies. All the time. God, Yang. Oh, it's hard to root for her in these yeah, episodes. Yeah, it really is. And, like, there's there's not a, a ton happening with that storyline, but I really, really, really love when after uh, the Monopoly kid, so they're fishing through the poop, finally, of course, because, like, he swallowed a bunch of metal shit, <laughs> that some of which has sharp edges. Yeah. One of them perfs his intestine. And so he has to do surgery and Christina's like, okay, yes, finally, I'm going to get to go through surgery. And (laughs) Bailey's like, oh, you thought wrong, girl. Um, And she just like does a quick, great monologue after she's scrubbing um, where Christina's like, I don't understand why you won't let me like scrub in. And (laughs) Bailey's like, you really want to go head to head with me on this? You really want that right now in this second? She's like, in this moment, you chose. Yeah. Yeah. Yep. <laughs> She's like, just like straight up like, you want this smoke right now? Yeah. Okay, and then and then Christina tries to be that little girl in that <laughs> Twitter video who's like, yeah, I do want some smoke. But she's like, no, I definitely don't want any smoke. Uh, and like, yeah, I, I like that monologue from Bailey alone would be enough to make me fess up. Oh, One, God, because right? like Christina is like watching herself tank her career before her very eyes. Like, yeah. yeah, she's getting to like scrub in on all these great surgeries with Burke. But like, really, Bailey is in charge of your internship and like and the feedback that is happening. So like, what are you doing? Yeah. Yeah, it's it's really stressful to watch. Um, as someone who also like cannot imagine maintaining my composure in the face of that, I would just be like, "I'll tell you everything, everything you need to know." Mm-hmm. Um, it's it sucks. It sucks so much. Um, 
we do get some we do get some lighter moments as a result of the fact that Yang is just digging through a child's poop all day. Yeah. Um, and we also get the answer to the question: Which Monopoly token does Izzy always play as? It's the dog, obviously. Mm. So my my next question is: What Monopoly token do you always choose? I don't do that. You don't play Monopoly? No, I fucking hate Monopoly. When you have played Monopoly, what token have you I played I literally as? think I've played Monopoly one time, and it was as a child. <gasps> and I was like, you tell us this is the worst happened? game that's ever been. Was there a physical fight? Was there a brawl? No, I can't even remember it. <laughs> but, but I'm just like, this game is dumb. Oh, man. Why? I love Monopoly. <laughs> oh, my God. You would love Monopoly. I love Monopoly. That makes so much sense. Uh, my partner and I um, have, have an agreement to not play it with mm-hmm. each other. Mm, too um, contentious too too bad we <laughs> that would that would be like a <laughs> a real actual fight but uh i always play as the hat why um because what does that symbolize for you i think it's the cutest token it's just like this tiny miniature pewter like bowler hat and i love it i think it's adorable what are the i love hats ones? i look good in hats and so i always there's the thimble okay there's the dog yeah. There's the race car. Okay. There's like a wheelbarrow, maybe. Okay. That seems possible. That seems what like do it these might be something. stand for? Why are the pieces these things? Um, great question. Couldn't tell you. Okay. No idea. Hmm. No idea at all. I'd probably play as the thimble. Yeah, that makes sense for you. Yeah, but what does that mean? Um, because you seem crafty to me. Mm. You know. Like someone who might actually use thimbles. So oh, no, no, no. I'm not crafty at all. <laughs> you don't know me. <laughs> I think they did an internet vote on a new token. Um, this was years ago. And I'm pretty sure the internet decided on a cat. And that made me pretty angry. I was pretty upset about that. Okay. I was like, fuck that cat. <laughs> Get it out of here. Okay. Oh, there's a boot. Oh. There's a boot. What kind of boot? Uh, it looks like a hiking boot. No, it looks Cowboy like boot? it looks like an old, an old boot that you'd find by the side of the road, kind of. <laughs> okay, cool, <laughs> great. <laughs> I hope that's what the cat looks like. <laughs> an old cat yeah, that you found on the like side a roadkill of the road. cat. Um, so, so we find that out. We find that bit of information out because it's the Izzy... least surprising bit of information we could find out about Izzy. <laughs> Izzy is trying to avoid Sydney, like basically. All that Izzy's supposed to be doing today is talking with shadowing Sydney and talking with her about like her feelings and processing Denny's death and what it feels like to be back now and yada, yada, yada. But she decides that she would rather literally dig through shit (laughs) than spend time talking with Sydney. Uh, So she ends up with Christina and that obviously doesn't work out because Sydney finds her and then just stays until Christina's like, you got to get this bitch the fuck out of here. <laughs> Not having it. Um, yeah. <laughs> you were doing so well. You were doing so well with it. It's, um, it's really, it's, it's very funny to watch Sydney, um, Sydney continue to pursue Izzy throughout the day. I'm a Sydney apologist at this time in my life. Mm. I'm not sure that I always have been. I'm pretty sure that when I was younger, I hated Sydney and was like, fuck Sydney forever. Um, Which is hard because I do really enjoy her character in Buffy the Vampire Slayer. Um, 
But at this time in my life, at 31 years of age, I'm like, Sydney is extremely competent, and she's just trying to do her fucking job. She's trying to be positive. And I I really love her, and will stand by her. I'm okay with that. I don't actually find her to be that annoying, and I can't remember why they all find her to be so annoying. Because she's, like, relentlessly upbeat. Yeah. But what we find out, because... <laughs> Izzy is a dumb bitch where she's like, how could you know what it's like? You can't possibly know what I'm feeling because you're dumb. And she cannot read. It's so funny because Izzy sometimes is so perceptive and can be so um, Mm. empathetic. And she cannot read the room and tell that Sydney is quite obviously trying to communicate a way in which they are connected through trauma or connected through loss. Yes. And Izzy just storms out of every single interaction with Sydney before Sydney can actually explain that to her. And right. it's just, it's so frustrating to watch Izzy. I, it's hard because I think that grief can be really, um, selfish is not the word that I want to s- use, but like self-centered Mm. Like particularly in the beginning when it's just so sharp, right. and I think it's it's so t- it's so typical and normal to assume that no one could possibly understand what you are going through, mm-hmm. and of course that is always to some degree true, mm-hmm. but it is frustrating to watch Izzy be utterly incapable of conceiving that another person has maybe also experienced loss and could right. and could provide comfort or not even comfort but just a space a space for that grief right she's like can't Izzy like cannot accept that until the very very end of the episode right because I think the idea is like Sydney is very obviously a happy shiny person or Mm -hmm. bright shiny person or whatever and so she probably hasn't had anything bad happen to her yeah Um, and so she couldn't possibly understand Um, but then finally she's able I'm surprised that like Izzy didn't fucking railroad her again but it's true (laughs) um, she's finally able to say like I have experienced a loss it comes in waves it's hard to deal with I'm trying to make a connection with you um, and let you know that like you're not alone in the way that you're feeling and Mm. so like i'm trying to fucking help you you dummy um and yeah that it wraps up really nicely and izzy sort of is like oh okay yeah sort of chastened yeah cool oh i've been a real bitch great (laughs) it's a good it's it's actually like it's a good it's a good storyline like izzy is frustrating in it but it also feels again it, it feels like a pretty normal like response yes and it's it's nice the moment with sydney at the end of the episode i think it's acted extremely well and Mm -hmm. that's nice it is i know i was moved i was affected oh i was moved um at several at several points but i agree Um, let's do like the show does and cut back to the men (laughs) let's cut back to the men wow (laughs) such a good idea yeah Let's do it. <laughs> back in the forest the men are setting up their campsite. back in terra incognita oh yeah <laughs> in the woods of toxic i'm just i'm sorry can we look at i just like want us to look at patrick dempsey's hair that motherfucker doesn't camp Derek doesn't camp 
Burke doesn't camp. No. These men There's are so much like, product. They're pretty little bitches. There's no camping happening here. What does Yang Joe say? Joe is she the says. only person she <laughs> says. Preston's do not go into the woods. A guy named Preston is going to get his ass kicked by a squirrel. Yes. She is exactly right. Correct. <laughs> That's a good read. <laughs> <laughs> so they're out in the woods and they're getting their campsites set up. Um, Burke and Derek have their shit ready. Joe and Walter have a great large tent. <laughs> They're prepared. The chief is eating a fucking like charcuterie board on a rock because he brought a rolling suitcase into the forest. George is for some reason piling rocks. Yeah. I didn't understand why he was piling rocks, which they only set them up so that later they could be the the thing that happens. Yeah. Um, that's a, actually, that's a good point. That's a good catch. What the fuck was right. he doing? He's literally just piling rocks. It was for rocks. the gram before the gram existed. Oh, my God. And so the chief doesn't have a tent. And this is where we discover... Uh, well, I mean, I think other people knew, but that <laughs> Joe... Everyone except the chief knew. Yeah, Joe and Walter are gay. They're, they're partners uh, because the chief asked to share their tent with them. And Joe's like, okay, if you want to... Uh, and everyone else was like, chief, no, like, <laughs> let them be. Um, and he realizes it and like, oh my God, the homophobia jumped out. Yes. He's like, oh, okay. My cousin's gay. I'm hip. Brokeback Broke, Mountain. Brokeback Mountain and all that. Like, <laughs> stop talking. Stop talking. Please stop talking. Um, Like the only redeeming part of this like camping is like all of the scenery where I'm like, wow, that makes me want to go camping in like Washington. But even though it's set, it's like they film in like fucking Canada or something. But yeah, I mean, Vancouver. So pretty close to the environment of Seattle. Um, And so they get camp set up. They go out to the water to fish because that's apparently what they're going to do with the entire camping trip is just fish. They could have taken a fucking day trip for that shit. Yes. Um, it's a very confusing camping trip. Yeah, I don't understand it at all. Um, so they're getting all their lures set up and all that shit. That's what you call it when you fish, right? A lure? Yeah. Bait? Okay. Yeah. Um, a lure, a lure uh, not bait, actually. Oh. Because they are... Because of the kind of fishing that they're doing. Okay, whatever. Um, <laughs> and George, he's talking to Burke, and this is when he sees the trimmer. And I said, Dor- George is a better detective than he is a doctor, so, so he's true. gonna figure this shit out. So true. Um, George is like, <laughs> George is like fucking law and order this episode. Like, yes. This- He's, like, setting up the bad guy to fall. He's like, oh, yeah, you can do it, right? Yeah, yeah. You're the best. It's really impressive. I'm like, who, where the fuck is this George? Who's this George? Where did you come from? Yeah, over the next few episodes, he gets, like, very assertive, and I'm like, It's strange. "Hmm." It comes out of nowhere. (laughs) (laughs) Um, yeah, it's, it's, let's, let's talk about the chief's. Let's talk about Joe and Walter for just a hot sec. Okay. <laughs> it's pretty awkward. Yep. We're in 2006 at yep. this time. Yep. Um, Burke jumps up from his camping chair as though he's been shot. 
when the chief starts being really awkward with Joe and Walter. Yes. It's very funny. He's like, whoa, 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 chief. He's probably thinking like this elderly man is going to say something (laughs) was like, I granted, I feel like that's the reaction that I have too. whenever an elderly person starts saying anything like, oh, I could. Yeah, I'm confused. Yep. And troubled. Yep. By the manliness discourse of this episode. Oh, yeah. He says man love. mm -hmm. And I'm like, oh, my God. And prior to that, we have Burke talking about manliness, men being men, Mm -hmm. returning to nature. Derek's doing all of that shit, too. Yeah. Yeah. Um, It just feels like. I don't believe that Burke is progressive. No. I don't believe. I actually don't believe that any of these. I don't men believe are, that any of these men are progressive. I I feel really terrible for they're Joe all and Walter. Just very gender um, essentialist. Yes, weirdos. Yeah, it's, that's okay. I struggle with this episode because I it is it is so into this theme of gender essentialism, in presenting that not in a terribly like it doesn't seem like they're problematizing gender essentialism at all Mm-mm. they're just introducing gender essentialism and also introducing queer storylines like joe and walter and right. not really using joe and walter to interrogate like the problematic nature of their gender essentialism right. like joe and walter don't provide any teachable moments to these men no. and i'm not saying that that would have been better but it doesn't make any sense as to why Joe and Walter are included in this bizarre road trip into traditional norms of masculinity. Right. Like, I don't know why the writers did this. I don't understand the point in putting these two storylines together. I mean, I think <laughs> that maybe in a subtle way they were trying to. But then the, it just gets messy because... We then have to make the assumption. So when they're out fishing, Chief is talking with Joe and he, and they're talking about Adele. And the chief says, like, no, we didn't have kids. Adele said, like, she didn't want to raise kids alone. And Joe's like, oh, yeah, Walter says that, too. And she's like, oh, he does. And he's like, yeah, because I'm at the bar all the time and I'm working all the time. And Walter, meanwhile, is like sitting reading a magazine. And so they're doing this thing where what I think they're trying to do is they're like feminizing Walter and then, like, equating Walter to, like, being Joe's wife and being the femme person in the relationship. And so then they're still doing this weird gender essentialism thing where they're like, oh, men are being men. But Walter over there is, like, is is not quite manly because he's femme. Yeah. There's, still, there's still this weird thing going on. Yeah. When they uh, yeah. when they could have been... addressed it, yes. but they tried to address it in a back backwards way because they're like, "Oh, Walter's a man, and he identifies with things that Adele is feeling." But yeah. and, but then they're also trying to do this thing where they're like humanizing a gay couple because they have the same strife as like yes. the chief and Adele. It's oh, like it's so weird. It's so messy. It's so messy, and I. <sighs> It really, it really flops. It does. <laughs> it, it really flops. Um, I like, I love the uh, the introduction of Joe as being gay and partnered. I 
I think that Joe and Walter have some really sweet displays of affection and intimacy in this episode. You know, I mean, obviously super minor ones. Yeah. It's 2006 network television, but still some really like cute, small, affective moments and everything. But th- this this contrast in themes and plots makes little to no sense. And I kept waiting for Joe and Walter to offer something to the conversation on Mm. masculinity that was like more radical or more progressive. Mm -hmm. And it just, it just never, it just never really happened. Like Walter was there to create a situation that these men would have to bond around mm-hmm. um and as a means to further um the burke hand drama yes that definitely. that is really why joe and walter were there and yeah. that that's disappointing it's disappointing yes. <laughs> like then why did we shoehorn them into such a gross weird storyline yeah i think it's- it also feels like this episode and um maybe you didn't feel this way but i was like I found it su- suspect that the men took such prominence in this episode, almost like, almost like, hey, we're not just like a women's mm. show a little bit. Hmm. I don't know. I just had a moment where I was like, were we trying to like expand the audience a little bit? Like, like, I just don't know. But I was like, yeah, it it's, it's like okay to center, move. like, it's okay to center women's stories and I like that Grey's Anatomy does that and I just was unsurprisingly put off that we had to that like the A plot was the men on a camping yeah. trip. Yeah. <laughs> and I also like I just had this thought is like I wonder if like Shonda and crew did this weird thing where they sent the men out to the woods while we're while we're having this other plot storyline back at the hospital of Donna. Mm-hmm. Because they didn't know how to write what all the rest of the team would say or do or think about it. That's real. That's super real. Should we talk about Donna? Yeah, because, like, the the few people who are there are already problematic. (laughs) But I'm just trying to imagine the rest of the, like, could you imagine Alex on this case? No. No, I can't. Like, it would be a mess. Yeah. Yeah. So, cutting back to the hospital. Yeah. Um, so Meredith is assigned to Sloane. A great uh, pairing, by the way. I liked it. I mean, I think it's an okay pairing. I think that I don't understand really why Sloane is flirting with Meredith so hard. <laughs> um, like, is he even attracted to her? Does he just want what Derek has? Like, I just don't understand what's going on here. Or is it just like they're... I mean, I understand that they're portraying him as the kind of guy who just, like, sleeps with everyone. But, like, he's not that flat. He's not that one-dimensional. He yeah. does have, like... Um, depth. Depth, yeah. he's <laughs> Because he's not, like... He doesn't hit on Izzy. Yeah. He doesn't hit on Yang. And so I'm just like, what... What is it here? Yeah. I think that, I think that makes sense. I, I guess... I guess it makes sense to me that he would be flirting with Meredith, um, partly because I don't really take his flirting seriously. Like, mm. I think he's kind of half half kidding the whole time in mm-hmm. using it as a way to, like, sort of create just, like, relationship with her. Mm. And I also think that it makes sense 
if you consider him as petty. And he's feeling pretty petty towards Derek right now. And that feels real to me, right? Like, I don't think he's actually into Meredith. um, But I do think, like, I think he is intrigued by Meredith and, like, what he's heard about her and everything. But I think he's also, like, deeply petty and is like, if I could fuck Meredith, wow, that would really... Icing. That would really put Derek over the top. Icing on the cake. <laughs> uh, so Meredith, Meredith and Sloan are on this case um, of Donna Gibson, a trans woman who has come in uh, to have a vaginoplasty done. And the storyline just immediately starts off problematic. Um, they do this thing where they're using trans identity as a gag, you know, Sloan and Meredith come in and um, Donna's wife is talking. Well, Sloan starts talking, explaining what they're going to do. And then Donna's wife says, he's going to, you know, cut off my husband's penis. And Meredith's like, Oh, okay. And she's like, Oh, where's your husband? And uh, then Donna has to go right here and I'm just, they're playing that dumb, quirky, like, yeah. comedy music. And that's the worst part. It, it is the worst part. But honestly, I think, like, further the worst part is. So I was watching this episode with my girlfriend, Amber, and she said, and I was like, well, maybe one saving grace is that a trans actress actually played this character. Yes. And then Amber goes, but, like, think about the fact that they made a trans actress say these horrible fucking yes. lines. Yeah. 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 Oh, it's so bad. I I would love um I would love to know and maybe I should have uh or not maybe I should have looked into this what the um what the actress had to say about this episode or Ooh. like if the actress has uh spoken about the episode. We can always um Provide a link, like when we yeah. publish this article. If we find I'd love any, to if know we that. find any interviews with her, um, that so could it's be... Alexandra uh, Billings, who's yeah. been an actress for a long time, yeah. um, and, and so, has yeah. been in a lot of stuff. Like, yeah, you, you would um, probably recognize her from other things. But yeah, um, I'd be super curious. I wonder. About that. Yeah, I that would be really interesting to know, like her thoughts on that episode. Even like, um, even now, like, uh, you know, fourteen years later, as opposed to thoughts then. But it is. Um, it is hard to like sit there and be like, is this, is this like doing harm to this person, to this, Mm -hmm. to this actor? Uh, It sort of reminds me of, um, uh, some of the work that Laverne Cox did in Orange is the New Black. Mm -hmm. And I think she's been really, um, uh, like she's been really vocal about like what that experience was like for her. And I, I don't think that that role did harm to her um despite it being like quite difficult at times obviously um but that was i think it's also a a very different time and tone and that character was and they're portraying something that like realized something that happens very much so you know um settings but but it is yeah it, it is just it is interesting when you when you actually take that step and cast someone from a vulnerable or marginalized population and then like are asking them to like re-engage in some of that trauma or even actually like say, you know, use the language that mm-hmm. has been used to oppress and to harm. And right. like, anyway, 
Yeah. <sighs> yeah. Um, it's, it's like the one thing that I appreciate in this scene is that uh, Sloan has no time for Meredith fucking up. Yeah. Like Meredith um, repeatedly refers to Donna with um, he, his pronouns. Yep. And Sloan calls her out immediately mm-hmm. and even says. Like, get it together. She's been, um, you know, she's been like using these pronouns for three years now. Like read the chart, like read the chart. There's right. no excuse. Right. You know, and um, and I liked that a lot. Like I liked that, you know, she's our protagonist, mm-hmm. but we didn't make excuses for her ignorance in that yeah. scene. I thought that was that was cool. And again, for like 2006, I was like, OK, yeah. All right. Yeah. Chill. I agree. <laughs> I ultimately like I hate everything about this storyline, including the wife. Like, oh, toxic. I, oh, toxic. It's stuff so, yeah, so yeah, 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 yeah. terrible. And like, yeah, yeah, yeah. it's I feel like it's made even more terrible for me by the like, because they give a t- they just like say a bunch of the they give a bunch of exposition like that Donna has been, um, you know, on hormone therapy and living as a woman and came out like three years ago. So the wife has been with her this entire time and still is using her wife's dead name still is, you know, calling her, um, her husband, which like, maybe that's a term that they agreed upon. Like you're still my husband, but like it doesn't come off that way Mm -hmm. in the story. And I'm just like, get your shit together. Like, but it's a, it's a, it's, it's, it's abusive. Like it's, it's like emotionally abusive to yeah. me. I'm like, it's been, um, if we're at this point, right? Like this person and we get some of that backstory, like this person has been transitioning for a while and you have been there for this transition and you're still referring to your partner as their dead name it's just like and using pronouns that are incorrect it's like like, how how is this okay i don't know and the the the, like honestly the kicker for me so like in the storyline donna comes in for the vaginoplasty but then when they're running the routine test to make sure that she's ready they discover that she has developed breast cancer because of the hrt um, and so the estrogen has been, you know, stimulating those cells and Donna has breast cancer. And so their answer is like, we need to cancel the surgery and immediately start chemo. Can't can't go any further. And the wife goes, so he'll be a man again. Yeah. And I'm like, what yeah. the fuck? Uh, <laughs> like, th- this is not how it works. And like, uh, I, I have no words. I'm yeah. just, like, so angry about it. It's a really um, gross moment. And, and the, that just, like, doesn't even make medical sense. Like, they could do the vaginoplasty and, like, while, yes, they would be wasting some time during recovery of that, like, there's no reason no. why then they couldn't fight the cancer post-vaginoplasty. At no point, at no point do this do they say that the cancer has metastasized. At no point do they say it's, like, fucking stage four breast cancer, right? They don't say that it's late stage Mark in, breast in, cancer. Mark, in fact, says it's good we caught this early. Yeah. We want to fight this early. And so, like, my my partner, who is a nurse and was watching, so Gina was watching this episode okay. with me, too. And um, 
And she was so mad. She was so mad. And she was like, this doesn't make any sense. It's a cosmetic procedure. One thing has like so little to do with the other. There's no reason that this person can't go through with the vaginoplasty that they have been waiting for and then move on to their treatment. Yeah. Like there's just there's no reason for this shit. There's no reason for like the language that they're using in the scene, which is very like. Um, becoming a woman is killing me, you know? Yeah. Which is like so, it's so toxic and so like um, your, how can you be this cruel to your body or like how yep. can you elect to yep. hurt yourself in this way? The framing is like very elective. Like the transition is elective. Yes. The vaginoplasty yes. is elective. Yep. The, you know, all of that. And it's like definitionally, Sure, but in terms of like gender identity, mm-hmm. which is very real and lived, like it is not elective to this person and right. framing it that way for an audience in 2006 that had little to no understanding of trans issues likely is not helpful. Right. <laughs> it's and not it, helpful at all. <laughs> right. And even like... This works in this context for this um, for this trans woman, but even the way that they frame like getting the vaginoplasty mm. as a completion of becoming a woman yeah. and talking it's about like that. everyone does this, right? Even you know? that is gender essentialist. Yes. They're equate they're equating gender d- genitals with gender, it's and so, so oh god, it's <laughs> and obviously in 2006 the conversation it's like was Donna very is Donna, yeah. with or without the vaginoplasty. Yes. Like, Donna is she, her, with or without this right, procedure. Right. Like, and the episode just refuses to, to clarify that point, to advocate that point. And in fact, in its other gender essentialist storyline is really, really making Donna's storyline even more toxic. Like, mm-hmm. the fact that the episode is titled, Wink, Wink, Where the Boys Are, you know? The fact that we have so many, so many of the men on the show referring to men being men and Mm -hmm. like referring to these norms of gender expression and responsibilities. And then we have Donna, who is framed as like sort of explicitly choosing to reject like masculinity and Mm -hmm. manhood is just gross. It's gross. And I don't see what purpose it serves because... To my mind, it did very little in the way of education. Mm-hmm. Yep. Yeah. It was fucking terrible. <laughs> <laughs> um, that marriage is not going to last. Oh, fuck um, no. Just freedom the, for Donna. The, <laughs> like, the entire conversation. So the, the wife obviously. free Donna, basically. Oh, fuck yes. <laughs> the wife obviously like leaves because she's like, I'm not going to sit around and watch you kill yourself because Donna's like, yeah, I'm going to get my vaginoplasty, bitch. <laughs> and so uh, the wife leaves and then she comes back. And I think we're supposed to like feel for the wife yes. and feel good that she came back and is making... A sacrifice. Again, and she, pay attention to those music cues. Oh, God, yeah. like She gets that redemption arc ugh. music. She m- makes this monologue where she's like, well, when I left before, I tried to go on dates with men who were going to stay men. And <sighs> you can only have so many bad first dates and you want to talk to your best. She essentially says, like, I came back because I need girl talk. Yep. And... 
And there was nothing better out there. Yeah, there was nothing better. I need girl talk. And she's like, and like, and Meredith is like, oh, she's like your person. She's who you want to talk to. And she's like, yeah, even when she hurts me. And I was like, bitch, how did she hurt you? Yeah. By being herself? Yeah. I don't understand. Yeah. I hate. Oh, yeah. God. There, I hate it so much. What sucks so much is like, there's an interesting storyline here, right? For the spouse, mm-hmm. which is like, how, how do you, how do you grapple with what like what does that mean for your own um like sexual orientation yeah. and your own categories of identity that you have carried with you for i think they say they're in their mid 30s in this episode mm-hmm. for 30 plus years like your partner is transitioning and you are still attracted to them and yep. are still romantically interested in them but you have until this point identify straight, as something else, you yeah. know, and have not spent much time thinking about that, probably. Right. Exactly. Like, and so it just calls There into was an interesting storyline. That's not what we got with her. Right. <laughs> not at all. Yeah, there's so much that could have been said to that point. And I thought about that the entire time. Because um, I've been in that position and I was like, mm-hmm. this is... No. <laughs> yeah. No. <laughs> but it, I mean, I can I can understand how you can feel... Uh, conflicted. I think I felt that way at one point when a previous partner decided to transition, started to transition. And I thought, what does this mean for me? What am I going to do? But it definitely wasn't what this storyline was, which was a complete sack of shit. (laughs) Right. Right. Yeah. Um, We get, yeah, we get some nice moments. I mean, this, the storyline is also pretty clearly meant to humanize Sloane, the one man Mm -hmm. not on the camping trip. And um, I think it does. I think it does a good ish job of that. We see some we see some really nice moments with Donna and he does. It's the first time we see him with a patient and he's actually like providing like patient comfort and care, which is nice. It's nice to see that. And he even gets a moment, a monologue when they're operating to say like, you know, People think that plastics is about yeah. what's on. Wait, wait, wait. Is that in this episode? No, that might be the next episode. Nope, no, it's in I this, think episode. It's this episode. It is. Yeah, yeah. He he says like people come to me to fix what's on the outsider. He's essentially saying that like people think plastics is vain, but people are really coming to fix what's on the inside. Yeah. And he's saying if I can do even a little bit to help someone feel better, to help someone get by in their life, that's what it's about. Yeah. Yeah. And so he comes off. He comes off really well. Yeah. Honestly. Yeah. Um, and you can see like where where they're taking Mark and like why, um, you know, there are probably so many women attracted to him besides from <laughs> besides his beautiful face. <laughs> and so, yeah. Oh, speaking of women who are attracted to him, Addison and Callie. Oh, my God. A dream team. A dream team. A dream ship. Wow. Right. But that's not until next time. Forever. This time, they're just... Oh, fuck. This is such a a sad storyline. So there's, there's a woman named Jamie who has come in because she has fallen... Yes, she and, fell in the shower. Um, has broken her wrist. Yes, 
Um, and so she's she's pregnant to complicate things. Further. Very pregnant. Super pregnant. And she she and her very sweet husband are, you know, they're obviously really concerned about the baby, but she's also, you know, in a lot of pain. She yeah. just broke her fucking arm or her wrist. And so Callie is checking out her wrist. Um, and Addison is um, checking for the baby's heartbeat. And um, she can't. She can't find one, and, you know, the parents look concerned because Addison is is taking a while, and so Addison says, um, no, he's just sleeping, um, yeah. in reference to, like, why she's having a hard time finding finding the baby, and, uh, and she excuses herself. <laughs> it's not a great moment, actually. Like, right. in terms of drama, it's a great moment, but in terms of actual medical practice, I was, like, shouting at my TV, Addison, you cannot just walk out of a patient consultation because you're overcome with emotion. Right. Although I <laughs> think I would pr- prefer for her to walk out and compose herself <laughs> than to be emotionally overcome and start crying. It's, it's in so the room. true. It's so true. But wow, she takes a really long time to compose herself. Um, so she leaves. Callie joins her shortly thereafter. Addison's having a really hard time with it because um, the baby has died. Yeah. And, and I think we're also supposed to make the connection to the fact that like Addison has miscarried before yes. and um, feels very emotionally connected yes. to that. And like the having to deliver the news to these people that's like unimaginable for her. Right. Yeah, exactly. Um, and so in, and, and it is, it's, it's really sad. And I see, I thought that this storyline was, was handled very well. Like it yeah. was affecting, um, it was, it was moving like the husband and wife um, were great. Like they weren't. Yeah. You know, like irritating or anything. I mean, you were rooting for them, right? Like it was you were sad that this was happening, like very, very sad. And it really allowed some time for Callie and Addison to come together. Um, <laughs> Truth is giving me eyebrows about that. Yeah, exactly. Okay. Um, but in this episode, it's just nice to see them like talking about real things. Yeah. Um, and Callie being supportive of Addison that this is like something she's going to have to do, but also very much being like, this is terrible. I can't believe. Yeah. You have to tell them this, you know. Right. Um, and the storyline wraps up with with Addison. Um being she she says like about about the baby um yeah and then it just and then all it breaks just down gets from so there. sad because jamie the wife says repeatedly you have to say it i won't believe you mm-hmm. until you say it yeah um and i like the choice that we never actually hear addison say it the camera pans out into the hallway um just outside the window of um jamie's like examination room and so like we just like see the breakdown but we don't actually hear Addison say the words or hear them breaking down it's like a just like a really beautifully shot moment I think and Callie is in the background of the scene as well as like you know Jamie has her husband with her and and Addison kind of has Callie with her which is is really sweet but then um it wraps up and Jamie has to has to deliver the montage of of this with like Ingrid Michaelson's breakable Ugh. in the background, which like a great song choice. Um, but the so the end scene for this storyline is that uh, Jamie has to deliver the baby and that that's truly what happens mm-hmm. if there's fetal demise late in term is you 
have to deliver the baby. Yeah. Um, and so they do that. It's very affecting. It's extremely sad. I think the first time that I saw this episode, I cried mm-hmm. during this, during this portion. Um, and so they do that. They deliver the baby. Jamie and her husband hold their baby. It's like it's oh god, it's just fucking heart wrenching. It is, <sighs> and I appreciate. I I um, I appreciate that they chose to let that all play out. Like, yeah, that they don't cut away. That from they it. don't cut away. I don't know. I I respect that choice. And I think it was the right choice and it makes for just a really, a really moving end to like what is otherwise a kind of uh, aggravating episode. It's like the storyline was actually treated with a lot of care and intention. I agree. And I wish (laughs) that had bled into the A and B plots as well instead of just the C plot. I agree very much. (laughs) Um, So... We're going to cut back to the woods again <laughs> uh, to, to wrap up everything else. So after all of the fishing and George <laughs> sees the trimmer, um, well, during the fishing, Alex tells George that Callie slept with Sloan. Um, and George doesn't believe it for some reason, <laughs> which, like, I don't understand. And also, George is still fucking talking about Callie as <laughs> if they haven't broken up and she's just like, Trying to decide or whatever. You know what? Some lesbians you have to break up with more than once. Ooh, George is one of them, I guess. Mm. <laughs> um, and so they start fighting, and then they decide that they're going to go back to camp, and they're going to have a rules regulated open, <laughs> so stupid, open fist combat, as the chief says, or uh, a slap to fight. protect their hands. Yep, their exactly. precious, precious hands. Um, and so they get into a fight. Walter uh, very appropriately says, next time we're not going camping with straight people. And then they bump into him. He falls down and he cracks his head on those prop rocks that George brought in before. God damn it, George. Um, And so he has a laceration on his forehead. It culminates in Burke needing to do stitches on it. And George is going to put on his fucking detective hat again and like put the pressure on Burke. Um, Not the time, George. I know. Not the fucking time. He's really on it this episode. Also, my my partner took this moment to be like, to be like, I don't care if he has a tremor. It's not fucking rocket science. He can stitch a head open. You can stitch a head open. (laughs) You mean stitch it closed? Yeah, stitch it closed. Stitch it closed. Don't make it more. Don't make it worse. Yeah. It was so funny. She's like, this is not... (laughs) Yeah, it's just like sewing. This is not in question. (laughs) Yeah, it's terrible. So um, that's how that ends up. All of the men sort of like section off and have heart to hearts after they fucking (laughs) hurt Walter. Um, Burke has a conversation with George where he tells him that his standards are too high. What? They have one of those conversations where they're talking about two things at once. Grey's Anatomy's favorite favorite trope. And so like the the surface thing that they're talking about is uh George's standards for like for like Alex and for Callie, like why are you so judgmental? Like you need to like you need to chill out a little bit. But the underneath thing, like the sub level conversation they're having is like, 
you don't know my business, stop judging me. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and your standards are too high for me. And um, I was like, excuse me, the standards are the standards, which are that you should be able to consistently perform the responsibilities of your job as a cardiothoracic surgeon. Correct. (laughs) George hasn't really set those standards. The American Medical Association set those. (laughs) (laughs) I'm just, what are you trying to say here, Burke? What the fuck are you talking about? He doesn't even fucking know. (laughs) He's just trying to give himself some sort of out for his terrible behavior. It's, It's awful. Also, I, I want to say they take too long to leave camp. Oh, yes. What are they doing? They, like, go back out to the river. I'm like, like I understand that you got up Walter, but he yeah. was, like, he was, like, shaking when he hit those rocks. He looked like he was having a fucking seizure. He right. has a head injury. The man, you gotta go. Right. Like, but, no, they, like, sit down. They have talks. Like, Derek goes back out to fish. The only the only part that I like in this woods part is that like they are building Alex's character up yes. a lot in this episode. And yes. I really appreciate that because this is like the they're sowing the seeds of Alex who he becomes, even though I know that people are really angry at Alex Karev right Listen, now. We're going to talk about it next episode a little bit. maybe. <laughs> <laughs> um, but like, you know, he we get some of that backstory about how his dad you know, was an alcoholic, basically. He's like, I only ever went to bars as kids. Like, as a kid, I didn't go to the park. I didn't get to play with other kids. Yeah. And he was like, I just wanted to, like, come out and be one of the guys, basically. He was like, he's basically saying, like, I wanted to fit in because I didn't. And yeah. you're like, oh, you're like, Alex. Damn. Okay, oh. Alex. And that's, like, the only redeeming part of that's this. It. Yeah. Um, and, yeah, Burke and the Chief try to sort of, like, communicate with Derek about, like, how he's feeling about Sloan, but it ends up being really stupid. And then they all go home. And then we find out. George's dad is in the hospital. Dun, Harold! Dun, dun. No! Boop, boop, boop. But we have no idea what's wrong. We just know that Kelly... Called George to the hospital, and George was about to like confront Callie, and instead she was like, <laughs> like the curtain was dramatically pulled behind her to reveal Harold O'Malley lying in a hospital it's about bed. Your dad. <laughs> it's about your dad, George. <laughs> uh, so yeah, should we get uh, to the M and M's? M and M's. Let's do it. Tears. Teardrop ranking. I mean, like, a four to five out of five. Yeah. For Jamie alone. I said it's all so of hard. the tears for that sweet, sad couple. Yeah. 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 That's really, really sad. The on-call room? <laughs> there wasn't any actual sex, but for me, the on-call room was the moment between Callie and Addison <laughs> when they're sitting on the floor in the hallway. And, so hot. And, and Addison's like, you, well, you want to get a drink? And they're sort of like laughing and talking. I was like, wow, it would be great if they fucked. It'd be, I, like immediately. I was like, oh my God, get the drink. Get the drink. Go get the go, drink. Go get a drink. Go get the drink. Because they've both rejected Mark at this point, And I'm just like, I know. get that. <laughs> get the strap. Get the drink and get then the get, the and get the strap. Get the strap. Um, they don't get the drink. Callie's pager goes off. She doesn't get the strap until later. It's very upsetting. <laughs> it's very upsetting. <laughs> 
Song of the week? Oh, you know what? I confused my episodes. Oh, yeah. Ingrid Michaelson is next week. Yeah, it's not yeah. in this episode. I don't uh, have a song of the week for this episode. I, I thought there were several good songs, but... Um, I put uh, Make Right With You by Luke Temple when they're cutting back and forth between um, the woods and I think the hospital. It's just sort of like a folky song and like the guys are doing their thing. Mm. Um, ah, ha, ha, ha. I found it. I went to the Grace Wiki because I was like, when the <laughs> fuck does Grace this song Wiki. play? So it plays when... All the guys are f- are fishing and Richard is talking to Joe about Walter and Richard's having this moment where he realizes he misses Adele and George is talking to Burke about his hand. Anyway, it's just like a slow sort of like outdoorsy nature song and it fits really well with that scene. All of the other music in this episode, not so great for me. Yeah. Although the Brett Denon, epi- the Brett Denon song during Jamie's labor is also like kind of affecting. It's a good song for the scene, but not really a song I love. Yeah. Yeah, I kind of felt that way about all the music. I was like, it's good music, like good music for the scenes, but nothing that like yeah. really got me. Yeah. What about Death Tally? Just the one. Just Jamie's baby, which Just is also um, the saddest death, obviously. Yeah, it is. Yeah. Uh, 007. <laughs> Man, <laughs> it's it's hard because there's not a lot of medicine being practiced this episode. I felt, though, like Mark had a really good episode, but Mark is also apparently drinking while on call at the end of the episode. I'm very confused. He like finishes a beer, his pager goes off, and he asks Meredith to get him another one for when he gets back. And I'm like, what? <laughs> so if Mark was drinking on call, he's my 007. <laughs> because what the fuck? I'll give it to you. Yeah. What about you? Uh, I said Alex and George for almost giving Walter a traumatic brain injury. Yep. That's totally reasonable. Yeah. Totally reasonable. Yeah. Crev of the week. I put the Monopoly pieces, kid. (laughs) For swallowing the fucking Monopoly pieces. Uh, Because what a dick. And also, he's a tiny man. So really all men in general in this episode are the Crev of the week. With the exception of Walter and Joe. That was my crev of the week. Went to every single man on this show not named Joe or Walter. Oh, there we go. Yeah. Yeah. Chief resident. Uh, I did. I said maybe Callie. Hmm. Mm-hmm. Uh, I yeah. felt. Yeah. Yeah. She did her job really well. And then she was supportive of Addison as well. Yeah. 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 Um, I said Sydney. Um, and I also said if the episode has Sydney in it, I'm probably always going to give it to Sydney. She seems very competent. <laughs> um, but yeah, despite uh, Izzy giving her the runaround all day, she actually does do her job by the end of the shift, which yeah. is to dialogue with Izzy. So the fuck good job, that? honestly. Like, yeah. that's tough. <laughs> Line of the week. <laughs> I have so many. I thought there were a lot of really good lines this week. But um, a a line that I actually quote a lot is at one point, Meredith describes a situation as there's a lot of water under the thing or something. (laughs) And I just think it's very funny that she just was too lazy to think of the word 
bridge. Right. It's much harder to say the thing or the something. The thing or something. It's I like I And like, like she wouldn't like be that. able to yeah. remember that common phrase. It's so clearly faked that she right. doesn't remember the rest of the line. I think it's very funny. Um we also already mentioned when Izzy says out loud to Sydney in a truly withering tone. I would rather sift through feces than talk to you. But perhaps the best line of the week for me this week of all weeks is it's okay not to be fine sometimes. It comes in waves, Izzy. There's a lull and then another wave hits you. I wasn't trying to pry. I just wanted you to know that it's okay not to be fine sometimes. Mm. Which is something that Sydney says to Izzy in mm. which I think we can all maybe squirrel away in like our chest space. And uh, remind ourselves of sometimes. Oh, God. <sighs> Thanks, Teresa. Yeah. Yeah. Here, here for you Aww. and our listeners. Great. <laughs> um, I gave mine to Christina and her line of a guy named Preston is going to get his ass kicked <laughs> by a squirrel. Because <laughs> so, I liked that one. It's, it's so true. <laughs> yeah. So true. Um, I also had a worst line of the week. Ooh, go for it. Yeah. So, Mark, it may be the worst pickup line of all time. It's talking to Meredith. You're unhappy with your penis. That could be a lot less unhappy. And I was like... Gross. Damn it, Mark. <laughs> Just when we thought you had something. Damn it, Mark. Death, Come on, anything. man. Come on. God damn it. Uh, do we have a medical fact of the week this week? I do not. I didn't look anything up. I okay. wanted to look up the specifics of a vaginoplasty um, because that is interesting to me. But we are already uh, a little bit long this episode. All right. So I think our medical fact of the week is wash your fucking hands. That's going to be the medical and fact of the week for a long practice social distancing. Time. Except how we're not doing that right now. <laughs> well, we are, though, because we know who we've been in contact with. And Patrice walked into my house and immediately washed her hands. I even have to tell her. That's true. I didn't even hug Cassie. Uh-uh. She's there tried was to. no there was no hugging. There was no anything. You know, like you can get together with people within reason. They should be small groups. And uh, people who you trust. Whose hygiene you trust, I mm-hmm. should say. And uh, only folks who are not immunocompromised. That too. Um, and if you are living with someone who is immunocompromised, take that shit as seriously as you possibly can. There's actually, there's actually no such thing as being too cautious if you are living with someone who is particularly vulnerable to COVID. So keep yourself safe. We're going to keep podcasting. <laughs> That's our show for the It's week. actually a pretty good quarantine activity. That's true, actually. It's not a terrible quarantine activity. And we could even do it from afar. We can. could be at my house. Yeah. And you could be if here. we go on lockdown uh, we'll still be States, here. We'll still be here because guess what? Technology. We can still we can still record. Unless there's a massive failure of every <laughs> infrastructure ever. And it's not going to happen. But don't worry. I'm not worried about that at because all. Because we're all practicing social distancing to what? Flatten the curve. Yay. Yeah. Um, in the meantime, while you are indoors and staying six feet away from everyone when you are outside of doors... You should subscribe to our podcast. You should uh, rate us and leave us a nice review on Apple 
Apple Podcasts. Um, but you can listen to us pretty much everywhere. We are on Spotify. We are on Stitcher. We're on Podbean. We're on Acast. Probably iHeartRadio. Like wherever you can listen to podcasts, you can find Code Grays. You can also find us on Twitter at code underscore grays underscore. Um, if we find the uh, an interview with Alexandra Billings, mm-hmm. um, we will post that to Twitter so you can read up on her. Um, and you can also email us. We'd love to hear from you. You have so much time to sit at home, listen to us, and then email <laughs> us questions, comments, concerns, codegrays at gmail.com. And finally, we are on the gram, Instagram, at mm-hmm. Code Gray's podcast. Thanks so much for listening. Yeah. See you next week. Yeah.